Okay, Ali's in Croatia, so I'm going to um, see how we go with this. Just as a body, though one, has many parts. Oh, sorry, I should have said it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, verses 12 to 27. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. This is the word of the Lord. Good job, Ben. <laughs> well, we are beginning a series that is titled, What is the Church and Do I Need One? And this series is going to last probably about oh, eight weeks, uh, give or take, and uh, we're going to be delving into how we define what we understand about what the church is, and whether or not we need it or not. And we're going to do a couple of different things in that way. We're going to be digging into the Word of God because it's going to illuminate to us and show us what the church is. We're going to then look at why it's important for the church to exist even today. And then we're going to talk particularly about Fremantle and Fremantle Church and how that works itself out. So if you are here and you've been here since you were born, which that's some of you, and you're now going on, you know, 80 years of being around, then this is for you because it's what is the church what does it mean for me? What does it mean for Fremantle? And if you're here and you've been coming along and it's been maybe just three or four years, this is for you, for you to discover what does it mean to be the church and do I need that and what does that look like in Fremantle? And maybe you're here and you are here for the first time. Well, this is for you. For you to know what the church is, whether you need it or not, 
And what does that mean for Fremantle particularly? Because in case you didn't realize, we're a gathering of people in Fremantle. And it's important for us to know what that means. Because the church is not just the body of Christ globally, not just how God is working throughout all of the world in many different ways, in many different ways that it is shown forth because it sits in the culture that it's in, it sits in the place that it's in, but it is also a particular place, a particular gathering of people. And so my hope and my prayer for us as we delve into this is that we will fall in love again, maybe, or fall in love for the first time with the body, the bride of Christ, which is his church. And that we will see that it is important for us in very specific ways for us to be joined together in a gathering of people. And then how that will impact us here, particularly in Fremantle. So if you don't mind, I'd like to pray before we begin. God, you are mighty and holy. And you do things that I don't quite understand. One of those is how you gather together unique people in order to form your body that represent you in this world. To me, that's unwise. But you are God, and you know all things. And so we trust in you. And where we don't trust, would you help us in that? Where we look for our own selves, will you help us to see you high and lifted up? And so open our ears and our hearts today so that we can hear what you have to say to us. And God, protect us that if there's anything that is said today that doesn't belong to you, that it will burn up and go away quickly, that it won't take root anywhere in our lives. But if there's anything that's from you, let it take root into our hearts so that it will bear good fruit to you and bring you glory and honor and praise. Now, we're going to spend two weeks in the... I didn't say amen. That freaked some of you out. I'm sorry. Amen. (laughs) We're going to jump into this passage twice the next two weeks because there's two things that I think it pulls out for us. It's really more than two things, but we're going to look at two specific things that it pulls out for us today. The thing that we're noticing at this particular place is we're talking about a body that's one particular thing, but has many parts, and many parts that are vastly different. This is a great passage for us to read if we're talking to children or young adults or people that have been alive for a long time, because we can use it to say, isn't this silly to think about a body like one giant nose or one giant eyeball or one giant ear? That just doesn't make sense at all. And we talk about how each part of the body is important, that there is not one part of our body that is not needed, as is the case here in what Paul is telling us in the body of Christ. So in verse 12, it just reminds us that we are this body, though one, we are many parts, and they form one body, so it is with Christ. 
And he reminds us that that is built up into Jesus. And so, what is the church? Well, the church first is the body of Christ. Built up into Christ, who is the head. We are his body. We are his gathered people, drawn together in order to be him today in this very world. That we are his representatives, but even more so, we are him. Doing the work that he has always been about, that work of reconciliation and mercy, that work of justice and truth, that work of drawing people in. But in God's unique plan, he says, in that body you are many parts, each one of you different and unique in your particularness. It might be good for us to think back and go, well, what did the church look like when it started gathering together and it received this letter? Because we know that what the New Testament is, most of it, is just a gathering of letters written to particular congregations, particular churches, and regions throughout the, the old world saying to them, hey, you guys are doing this well or you're doing this wrong. <laughs> if we stop and think about it, we could be surprised maybe to find that a typical church probably looked this way. A craft worker in whose home they met, along with his wife and children, a couple of male slaves and a female domestic slave and a dependent relatives, maybe some tenants with families and slaves and dependents of their own also living in the same house in rented rooms. Maybe there were some family members of the household who he himself didn't participate in the church. Maybe there were a couple of other slaves whose owners didn't attend. Perhaps there were freed slaves who, didn't, who, who went and participated in this as well. Or there were homeless people, perhaps, or some migrant workers who were just renting rooms. Then you add to that mix Jewish folks and perhaps a prostitute here or there. And Scott McKnight in his book called The Fellowship of Difference says, so you can see why there would be different taste in your typical house church. There were men and women, citizens and freed slaves and slaves who had no legal rights, Jews and Gentiles, people from all moral walks of life, and perhaps most notably, there were people from the elite class all the way down the social scale to homeless people. Paul puts it this way. You are all different and unique and particular, but you are gathered together into one body with one head and one purpose. That each one of you hold all that you are, all the agency that you possess in the way that God created you. The, your life experiences, the knowledge that you gained, the beliefs that you are wrestling through. Do I still believe this? Do I not believe this? Where am I walking? How am I walking? All of those things you bring every time you gather together as the body of Christ. And even when you're not here, you are part of that body, working itself out throughout Fremantle and beyond into the world. 
And so each one of us have to look at ourselves and go, yes, I am a particular person set into this body. And Paul reminds us here that you are needed. Not even just needed, but desired to be part of it. Because without you, the body would be incomplete. Without you, we might just end up looking like a big nose or a big ear or a big eyeball. And while some of us might think a big eyeball would be really cool to have a church that is filled with people who are identical, who have had the same life experiences, who have the same even thoughts and processes and even the same beliefs at this moment, it would not show forth the majesty and the beauty that is Christ's body. That we need all those things to function healthy, vibrant, flourishing in order for us to do what Christ himself did, which was to bring life and truth and salvation. We come with that message to those around us. And so the first thing that I want you to hear today is the gathering that is the church is a fellowship, a gathering of those of us in our particularness that submit it to God's holiness. That he is the head. And so we don't lose our particularness when we come in. We don't lose all those things that God has made in us. But it becomes submitted to Jesus so that he can form and fashion it in order for us to be the body together. So there are things about you that will move from being your primary thing to being a secondary thing. Because your primary identity is that you are in Christ. And thus you are part of the church. That you are in Christ and so you are part of his body, doing the work that Christ has called you to. We are those who move, and he ends it so succinctly. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. So I don't want you to hear me saying you aren't beautiful in your particularness, because you are. Even those hard things that you have gone through, God is working in and through them, We pray that he will bring them to a conclusion that is bringing glory to him and bringing comfort and rest to you in this life. We trust that you are walking in that place. And so if you are here today and you are hearing this for the first time, let me invite you to step into the reality of who the body of Christ is, that you can be a part of it and find out who you are and even more so who you belong to. But there's something that has happened. There's something that's happened to us in this place. In this world, we have turned in on ourselves. We have forgotten that there is the head, that God is mighty and holy and creator. And we've moved to a place where we have begun to step into the elevation of self. We've realized that we love our particularness so much that we don't see it necessary for a whole group, but just necessary for who we are and who we want to be. Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor has said this. 
He calls today's age the age of authenticity. And he says that it's an age that traces roots back to the sexual revolution and even further back to post-war boom and even further back to the romantic period of the 18th century where poets such as William Wordsworth and Lord Byron valued expressive individualism and a deep trust in its own emotional responses. It was an untamed nature, they believed, that is what we saw in authenticity. And they contrasted that very much so against the soul-destroying structures of modern life and institutions. So nature's good and any structure is bad. That's Lord Byron. That's a that's a reductive analysis of that, by the way. It's very flowered <laughs> and more. But then he goes on to say that in our own age, authenticity is defined by how true you are to yourself. Not how true you are to your calling or to your community or to your covenant relationships, but only to yourself. He says it's a new religion that's built on a commitment to individual autonomy and a celebration of personal authenticity at any cost. You see, expressive individualism says this, you do you. It does not countenance sacrifice of self for the sake of others. Maybe outside of immediate family. <laughs> so what we see happening, and it's happened all along, we just have more people looking at it and writing books about it, is we turn in on ourselves when we take our eyes and our hearts off of who God is. And when we turn in on ourselves, that we begin to believe that the truest form of authenticity to really live life is to do it for me and me alone. Now, I trust because you're up at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday and sitting here that at some part of your heart and your mind, you're not that way. <laughs> I trust that you're thinking about other people Perhaps you have jobs that are in service industries or uh, healthcare or teaching or any number of things, and your life is lived for others. Yes. But deep down, at the core, when we begin to ask ourselves that hard question of how will I best flourish in this life? we can often turn in and say, if I do what I want to do, if I believe what I want to believe, if I am expressing myself in all of my authenticity without bringing anyone else into bear, in fact, bringing only those who are near me and like me into my circle of influence, confirming what I'm believing, then inevitably we will move to a place where we have isolated ourselves to only us. Because we become the arbiter and the pinnacle of what we believe our lives should be. And so why do we need the church? We need the church because we need people who don't think like us. 
We need people whose life experience is different than us. We need those who are uh, uh, thinking a little bit differently than we are so that we don't grow lazy in our approach to living. That we just think it's about me and how I want to believe this and what I want to do. We need the church to come around us as those who are gathered together. But Lee, I've got a sports team that I can do that with. There's guys on my sports team that are way different than me. But Lee, I've got a a mom's group and everyone in there is different than me. They don't think the way I do. They don't act the way I do. And I'm stuck with them at least for six weeks or eight weeks or a month and a half, however long. I've got coworkers that I have to deal with every daily that are different than me. So why, why do I need the church? Can I get that and experience that others? Yes, except that in each of those situations, without the power of the Holy Spirit that comes through Jesus... We aren't able to remove ourselves from ourselves. We turn in on ourselves so much, and each individual that's in that place does. Listen, there is common grace that breaks through in those areas. I have sat in situations where it seems as though that the Holy Spirit is moving when it shouldn't be moving. I have read books by the... Look, I just watched a video this week of Flea, who's the bassist of the Red Hot Chili Peppers giving a book review of Nick Cave's latest book. Now, you know I love Nick Cave. And I don't know where Flea is. But what I do know is that God, in his common grace, used Flea's words to make me recognize my own prejudice towards people who are different than me. That's what the church is. We are different from one another in our particularness. And this is the beauty. In God's body, the church, we recognize all of those differences and all of that beautiful particularness, and we don't dare to elevate any of them but grab hold of all of them because we recognize that in it, it is the expression of God and how he moves in humanity, thus making us his body, moving us forward. So we need the church because we need to hang out with different people. And we need to hang out with different people who are submitting themselves to Jesus. So that they can encourage us and comfort us and challenge us in those places that we've turned in on ourselves. And we do the same to them. So that we can be who God has made us to be. So what does that look like at Fremantle Church? Let me tell you this. You might not realize this. But because I'm lucky enough to spend time with many of you, you all are different. You have different beliefs and the number of political parties that are just represented within our body. The number of ideologies towards education that are represented in our body. The way that we engage with culture is so diverse 
within our body. And I don't say that to pat us on our back and say, look at how good we are. I say that, that the Holy Spirit is moving and that God is building his bride in order to show his body most righteously to those in the Fremantle area. And I say that to remind myself and all of us that we walk humbly in that place knowing that there will be a Sunday that we show up here that somebody will be so different from us that we will not want them to be present. But through the power of God's love and the Holy Spirit, we will welcome them in, shouting forth, this is a place you can belong before you believe. That we step out in a posture of welcome says, come, let's share life together. Let's find out who each one of us is and how God is working. Because believe it or not, God is working in everyone's life. We just might not know how. They might not see it yet. But he desires to bring all who are his to himself. How beautiful it is. And so we move into that place. So hear this. You are beautifully unique and particular. We are glad that you are with us in this journey, this walk. And we will hold each other accountable to being welcoming to anyone who comes so that we can move in our submission to Jesus the head and know that our identity rests fully in him. Let me pray for us. God, you are good, and all you do is good. Let us receive now these words. Let them transform our hearts. Let them be yours. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and respond together in singing.